Um, we have a guest this morning. I'm going to invite him up in just a few minutes. Uh, his name is Cody Whittington. He's from Belgrade, Montana, which is right next to Bozeman, Montana, where there's about 20 inches of snow on the ground. Apparently, it was 60 degrees last Sunday, and now there's 20 inches of snow on the ground. So aren't you glad you lived here and not there? But this is going to be a lot of fun this morning. Over the next four weeks, we're beginning a new series, and I've, I've shared with you a little bit about this, that we're kicking off a series called Sexuality, Culture, and the Bible. Uh, this has been on my heart for a really, really long time. And this conversation really has more to do with intimacy with Jesus and building a relationship and a depth of intimacy with him, being close to God and close to other people uh, in regards to what it means to be fully human uh, and fully a child of God. And there's a lot of things that are going on in culture now that distract from that. There's a lot of things going on, issues, agendas, policies, politics that make it Harder and harder to want to love people that see the world differently than maybe I do or you do or we do. Um, there's no guarantee that we all see the world the same ways. But a lot of times when we get too focused on issues and lose sight of Jesus and the hope of the gospel, doing what he's called us to do, which is to love him and love others, becomes extremely difficult. So I want to say from the caveat at the very beginning of this series of messages that there will be in many of us, including myself, a, a, a temptation to rush into the emergent issue of the day concerning sexuality. Uh, there's a temptation to want to attack what either we're, what is unknown or what we disagree with or what we might be afraid of. And when we enter attack mode, it gets really hard to love God and love people, right? And so this is going to give us a chance to do something different uh, than rush into an issue. It's actually, there's a directive today for us to pause and consider the full framework of what God desires for us concerning sexuality. And so that's what we're going to do today. At the baseline, uh, this is really an identity issue. Uh, we can't know who we are apart from God, and that's going to frame our conversation today. We're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk about marriage and singleness as vocation, as callings from God uh, that he has given us uh, according to his good pleasure. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the why behind the series. Why are we even talking about this at this point in time? Um, it would be honest, if I'm honest with you, and I, I hope that I am all of the time, uh, it would be easier to just skip this discussion. And unfortunately, the church has done a really good job of skipping this discussion for a really long time because it's messy and it's uncomfortable. Uh, however, the costs I've determined are just too high not to have conversations about sexuality in the church any longer. In the church, uh, this is a wonderful thing that the church across the board is getting more comfortable in engaging these discussions uh, from a place of love and grace and forgiveness and not a place of guilt and condemnation and shame. And I think that's what keeps us from talking about things like that. Uh, people have experienced so much shame around matters related to sexuality that oftentimes we keep these issues immediately to ourselves that we can't possibly share our struggle, our questions, our curiosities with anybody else. Because if we did, what would they think of us? And so we sit in isolation, which is exactly where the enemy wants us on anything, uh, is apart from God and apart from people. And then on the flip side, as people have found curiosity or found courage to bring what they're grappling with to the forefront, bring their curiosities to the forefront, unfortunately, uh, throughout our history as the church, is that oftentimes people are outcast from the community. Um, that's been going on long enough that kids have turned into adults and now tell stories about it. And we can do better. Uh, in regards to helping people move from shame uh, to a place of courage to share what's going on and to support people uh, with the full love of Jesus and the full love of their neighbor. 
And I really think that a person's willingness to open up about their questions concerning sexuality, uh, it's going to be contingent on our willingness to get really close to people exactly where they're at. Uh, From the outset, uh, I want to say, and this is important for our congregation to hear, uh, that I am very confident in our theological positions uh, that are grounded in Scripture concerning what God has to say about sexuality. That's important to say from the outset because there's a lot of sliding off the edge going on in culture, going on in churches concerning that. I want you to be able to hear the full-fledged nature of the conversation. So as we talk about this over the next four weeks, just rest assured there aren't, we're not going to pull any punches or slide somewhere different in terms of our theology concerning marriage and identity and singleness and what it means to be a sexual creation because that's God who, is, who He has made us to be. We're not going to do anything that's going to throw us off those underpinnings. That's really important to understand. If our theology is strong, if our orthodoxy is strong, what can use a lot of improvement is our orthopraxy. How we apply what we believe in regards to our behavior. That's something that I will say I need more help with. Um, I think we could all use more help with it. And it's not from a point of shame, like shame on you, church. We've been doing a horrible job on that. That's not how the Lord works with us. He just says, I want to invite you into a space to re-understand, to reimagine what it looks like and how it is to love your neighbor as yourself. Because culture has changed. That's a big part of this. The culture has changed. And as a disclaimer, uh, amidst uh, this rapidly shifting culture uh, that's adopted new paradigms, new understandings about identity, In human sexuality, um, I I have much to learn, and we have much to learn. And so uh, it's amazing how God leads in this space. Um, It's it's incredible to just venture out and to see when he does something that we couldn't possibly even expect. I was in a conversation with somebody back in September uh, who has a very different theology concerning sexuality in the church. And we were having a discussion that at times felt more like an argument, uh, but it was a long-standing relationship, and so love won the day on that, right? That relationship matters more than disagreement. We can accept people and not agree with people, and I will cling to that with every grain of my existence always. I wasn't real excited at the end of this conversation because I felt beat up, I felt hurt, I felt misunderstood, and it made me want to completely withdraw from the conversation, go back to the comforts of my own think tank, uh, where everyone just believed like I did and I could be reaffirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed. All of humanity does this. It's really difficult to venture out into spaces where we're going to have actual relationship with people that disagree with us about things, or we disagree with them about things. But in staying in the midst of that tension, this friend of mine said, look, uh, I'm in a place where my theology is entirely different on this, and I guess that's okay. And I guess it's okay that you hold the theology that you hold. However, um, I really need you to think about doing a better job uh, concerning how you clearly articulate your belief system to those who believe differently because people are getting hurt in churches. And when he said that, I said, I received that from you. And you have my commitment to do what I can to make sure that we become a loving, open, inclusive place for everyone to belong, regardless of whether we affirm or don't affirm a theology. And that's the hardest place is to love people through disagreement. But that's what God has created us to do. And so this is going to be a workshop of sorts. This conversation is so deep. It is so long. It's so wide. That to think that we could have it in four weeks is just, it's just not the case. Um, it's not the case. But we're going to hit on some important questions. And then the hope is that we'll go on a journey together over the course of 
years or a decade as culture continues to change, that we look more like Jesus in the midst of culture. Amen? Amen. So I said to my friend, well, how do you suppose that I do that? He says, well, I have a friend that lives in Bozeman, Montana, who has gotten quite good. He's, he's conservative in theology. He's conservative in his theology as you are. But he's found a really good way to love his neighbor. And I think it would be worth having a conversation. And so I called Cody. Uh, Cody and I had a phone conversation. And I just really like the way that he thinks about this topic. And so we said back in October, hey, it would be great to have you come out and spend some time with us. And so that's what he's been doing this week. He met with uh, members of our leadership team yesterday, other lead pastors from the area. It was really great. Uh, But I would like to invite Cody to come up here now and share a little bit more about his story. So can we welcome Cody? Thanks for being here. Thank you. Right on. So, um, Cody, would you just tell us a little bit about uh, what's going on in terms of your church plant, the table in, in, uh, in Bozeman, and, and how you're seeking to reach the community? Yeah, sure. So, uh, we, my wife and I, were, you're going to hear my accent come out really thick. For some reason, when I talk, it just, when I give teachings or sermons, it just shouts, you're from the South, you know, and so... Uh, you're going to hear that come out. So we were from the South. Uh, we have Texas pride. So my, my wife always says, you know, we have to tell people we're from Texas, not Georgia. We're from Texas. <laughs> we were in Georgia and moved to Montana. So just so we're clear, that's the most important thing. If you don't take anything else away from here, take that away. So <laughs> if my wife talks to you, you can tell her. Uh, no, we moved, we moved from Georgia. I was doing discipleship ministry out in Georgia. We moved to the Bozeman area to uh, ultimately start this church. And this, uh, this, the way in which we facilitate ministry, it really was created out of a burden. And I have story after story after story of how those things came together and how they shaped and how it came, how, why we do what we do. But I'll just share one brief thing. And it was uh, with our young adult ministry. A young lady came up to my wife and I during a service, and she was, or after a service, and she was shaking. And I was like, "Sweetheart, what's what's wrong?" <laughs> And and she said, I, I I I don't know if I'm allowed to do this. And I'm thinking, do we need to get like the cops in here? Like, what's about to happen? And so she said, I, I just I, I need to talk to you. And so my wife and I we pulled her aside. Can we talk? Sure. And she just she couldn't get words out of her mouth. And I was like, what what's going on? And she said, I don't know if I can ask this question. And she asked the question, and it was nothing. It was nothing. It was, it was not a big deal at all. She was scared to even ask a question, though. And that was the, that was the culture in which her church, uh, the trajectory of her church was don't ask questions. We tell you what to believe and just hold on to that. No, no skepticism, no doubt, no nothing. And there was no room, and she was shaking. That was one of many things that helped shape the way we we're thinking about ministry at the table. And what we do is the, the vision is to create space for meaningful conversations as we follow Jesus together. And how we try to facilitate that very imperfectly and uh, very complicated in, in certain ways. But we facilitate our entire service around tables. Uh, we meet in this high school space, this cafeteria, and we share a big brunch together every week. Uh, this week is Communion Sunday, so everybody's bringing their own dish rather than, a, rather than our leaders providing it. So it's really special. And um, yeah, so the, right now they're actually they're eating right now and just getting to know each other. And we go through worship, much like we experienced here, teaching. I provide a teaching. And after the teaching is when we have an extended time of dialogue about the text, topic, or teaching itself. Just around what, what does this mean practically for faith and life and culture? 
And we open up the space for, for all sorts of questions. And we don't shy away from them. We, we, we've tried to make it clear that we're not just giving answers. We want to think about our responses. A lot of times we don't have answers, but it's just creating that space, just simply creating the space for somebody to ask questions. And what we have found, surprisingly, is that it's resonating with many people who are outside of the what we would consider orthodox theology and Christianity. Uh, we're having people who would disagree with us on issues as, as much as you can possibly disagree, um, wander in the church, sit with us for months at a time to explore Jesus. And it's it's been super challenging because then you have people who have to learn how to then talk about Jesus with people who don't know Jesus. And so it's been really good, really challenging, and a mixture of all of that. So that's a 10,000-foot view. It's absolutely fantastic. And so as we get into this, again, I want to reaffirm over and over that this is a hopeful conversation. This is a conversation we get to have. We get to freshly examine our beliefs. We get to freshly examine our behaviors uh, that are connected to identity and human sexuality. Um, We haven't had to do this in our culture. This is a unique season in the life of the church in North America because things have been very congruent for a long time. When scripture was written, it was written from a place of countercultural perspective. The earliest believers in Jesus knew that most people didn't believe like them. And they were conditioned in that. And they had a chance to grow up in that, to know what it was like to face fierce opposition, to deal with persecution, and to see the church grow through it. Uh, we grew up in an entirely different space where for the most part we could say, yeah, culture toes the line on faith and I can be a Christian because I'm an American. Times have changed where culture has changed for multitudes of different reasons and it's left many of us wondering if there's a place left to stand in the world that we live and the truth is, the hope is, the life giving message is that there is a place to stand. It's on the rock. His name is Jesus. And he's empowered us with his spirit to go into a countercultural place and shine light in dark places. That takes conditioning. I like watching people run. I like people, I enjoy watching people do endurance sports. And I think, I want to do that. How do I do that? You're like, it's going to hurt a little bit. That's the same thing when I see people operating in faith in all places around the globe where they're willing to give their life for the sake of the gospel and think, that looks beautiful. (laughs) And then you just realize how much effort it takes, how much pain we go through. But we're not pain adverse. The Lord didn't create us to be that way. He said, I want to grow you through pain. I want to grow you through persecution. I want to grow you through isolation. That's why Jesus came and experienced that before us so that we, we could experience it with him. But this isn't a conversation we've had to have about sexuality and grace to the church. It's taken us a number of decades to get there. I think that we will see in the church in the United States a much more robust conversation about this. Why do I think that's actually more healthy than not? Because in this country, we haven't had to have a deep theology on identity, marriage, or singleness. It was just assumed. We didn't need to give an answer according to our faith because no one was opposing us. No one had questions against it, at least that they were voicing publicly. And then when they did voice these things publicly, because we didn't have a good theology, we didn't have a good response, other than to say, I can't talk about that. That's what's been breaking my heart. And I'm a part of it. I've been in ministry for 20 years. I'm not uh, just a, a new young pastor. It's like everyone else did this wrong. 
I was a part of that. I still remain as a part of that. There is a raging Pharisee in me that just wants people to behave well and call it good. Just behave well. So we don't have to talk about all this stuff. But guess what? We don't behave well. We need the grace of Jesus every day. I don't behave well (laughs) every day. I need the grace of Jesus. And so we need to behave well as a church. What does that mean for us? It means letting people get closer to us than we're comfortable with. There's been a shift for me, not in my theology, but in my practice. And I would say my practice is shifting, and I'm really practicing at it, and I'm not real great at it yet, but I'm going that direction. For the longest time, the raging Pharisee in me wanted to keep people who disagreed with me at a distance, like in a courtyard with a big wall so they can't get in and I'd have space to roam around. But then you start hearing stories from the outside and you realize, I need to let people closer. What if I let people over these walls? What if I let them in? And the thing that Jesus has been challenging me with over the last six months has to do with the amount of faith that I have in him that he will transform people. Because if he will transform people then I can let people uncomfortably close because he does the work of transformation. I stand on the rock whose name is Jesus and talk to people about the depth of love and intimacy that I have with him that they can have that's modeled through my life. And guess who does the work of transformation? Jesus does it. I just get close to people and I stand on the rock that is Christ. What's the point? Today... The point, it's impossible to understand the full scope of human sexuality if we are still lacking in our understanding of what it means to be human, to be made in God's image. There's a concept that an author refers to, Christopher Yawn, as theological anthropology. And this is simply the study of humanity as it relates to God. Anthropology is a big conversation, but theologically, theological anthropology simply says We are somebody more than we thought we were because God exists and we were created in his image. The ancient Greeks coined a phrase long ago, know thyself. And there's a whole lot of people, especially in culture today, that say the way that you know yourself is to go deep down inside of yourself and you will discover yourself from within. That sounds lovely. Until you start to unpack the implications, the biblical theological implications of what God says about the withinness of us apart from God is a really ugly place. So to assume that we could find ourselves by going inside of ourselves sounds nice and it's a total train wreck when it gets unpacked. To know thyself apart from God isn't fully possible. Without a solid grasp on our energy, with our identity, a solid grasp on our identity, we're hopelessly lost. And many in culture are unaware of how hopelessly lost we are. And that any identity that culture wants to give us might feel good. And why would it feel good? Because lacking an identity, any substitute will do. Right? If I can't have what's authentic, just give me a substitute. And that's what's going on in our culture. So if we don't understand who we are in the one who has created us, if we don't understand who we are, how can we understand anything in relation to our present human condition. It's just really difficult to do so. There's an assignment this week. This is less of a study and more of a contemplative opportunity for us, but there's a scripture in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My challenge to us this week is to spend five minutes a day contemplating these two verses. Not to study the Greek or the Hebrew or what the context is necessarily, but all scripture is God-breathed. And sometimes it's good to just bathe in it, right? To just receive it and see what comes out of it. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts 
are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We have a thought about what it means to be human. We have a thought about what it means to be uh, have an identity or to have some sort of sexual identity. We have thoughts about that, but God has greater thoughts about that. And the assignment, especially related to this topic, would to, one, maybe spend a few days just thinking about it in general. But then to think about what it means to be human and to, to, to have sexual desire and, and to have sexual impulses and to have a sexual past and a sexual future. And to say, God, I want to submit all of this to you because you know better about it than I do. And when we do that, we move from places of shame around sexuality to places of hope and life and freedom. Whether or not we choose to exercise that sexuality or not. These are deep, complicated conversations, but it starts with understanding that he knows more than we do. Amen? Amen. So what does the Bible say about humanity? Real quickly, uh, what I love about the Bible is that it's honest about humanity. I told you our friend Chris Manginelli recently said that the Bible tells on itself. Humanity tells on itself all throughout the scriptures. The Bible is very honest. And if we open at the beginning and start reading, we start to get, um, it, it gets uncomfortable what we read sometimes about how deplorable humanity is apart from God. Why would we give someone this text? Like, do you ever think about, would you give your friend the book of Genesis and Exodus, and Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the stories in there, and just say, hey, read this on your own. This is my faith. <laughs> if you've read it, you'd be like, let me explain this to you. Why would the Bible tell on itself? Why would humanity tell on itself all throughout Scripture? Because the more humanity tells on itself, the greater the light of Christ shines as the pentacle, as the cornerstone of all Scripture, because apart from Him, we can do nothing. He's the chief cornerstone. If we could conjure up the chutzpah uh, to save ourselves, right? Just that, I can do this in my own strength. We wouldn't need Jesus, but we desperately need him. Amen? Amen. I think this, as I was pondering it this week, what would make an invitation to follow Jesus as a disciple more compelling to my neighbor? I think a, a, a higher level of transparency. A higher confession of, I don't have this all figured out yet. But he has done something for me that has changed me. As I said, we have to talk about these issues of identity. Uh, we have to talk about these issues of fallenness. We can't have these conversations about sexuality without first understanding that we were made in the image of God and that the fall actually happened. So take a look. There's a little math equation up here concerning the image of God. So the image of God, which is grace, minus the fall, that we fall short of God as is laid out in Genesis chapter 3. The image of God minus the fall equals universalism. It's just like, hey, I'm created, and nothing bad ever happened, I'm just fine, right? The inverse of that, the fall, to say that we are a sinful, broken people without remembering that we were created in His image is harsh legalism. A statement that says, God hates you and you're damned to hell. We hear a lot about that in Christian circles, conservative Christian circles, Concerning sexuality. We can conjure up images in our minds of things that we'd rather never see again. But also knowing that there are people we're trying to meet with, meet with the hope of the gospel. That that's all they think about when they think about conservative evangelicals. 
is all the truth minus the grace. Or now more so, the overcorrection has been all the grace and no truth, and we have to come back to the center. We have to come back to that tension. This idea of the image of God, imago Dei in the Latin. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. The triune relational God, Father, Son, and Spirit says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's other, there's other uh, echoes of this throughout the book of Genesis. In chapter 5, verse 1, When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. God's image is on us. Some people would say, well, does that make us a God? No, it just means that his fingerprint is on us. It means that like a lunch pail, he wrote his name. So if we got lost, someone could find us and return us to our rightful place in his kingdom. Oh, look, this one bears the image of God. Now there's children of God and there's the image of God. And theologically, we can't confuse these things. Too much grace says everyone's just a child of God automatically. The word says, if you call on the name of the Lord and confess him, you Become a child of God. But we all bear his image always. It's what gives me hope for redemption when I see someone that is lost and alone. This individual bears the image of God. I'm with God's created being. And it changes the way I treat people regardless of their behavior. The image of God does a lot of things for us and in us. If we've decided at our foundation that there exists anything more definitive than God's fingerprint, uh, the way that we view ourselves, the way that we will live out our lives is severely impacted. Think about that for a minute. If we come up with an identity in regards to anything that is more important to us than the image of God, everything goes astray. That's really important when we look at our culture today. When we want to point a finger and say, won't these people just behave better? If no one has shown them the imprint of God that exists upon them, how would they know any different? And why am I condemning as opposed to coming alongside to hear a story, to build trust and relationship like Jesus did, to move to a point that maybe later on in the relationship, someone could say, why have you been so kind to me? Let me tell you through my own story. And God does the work of transformation as I get close, as we get close to people. Because people bear the image of God. As we have this discussion, I'm going to hand this over to Cody to talk a little bit about some other things concerning this. Um, But it's really, really important that we understand this idea of image bearers. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to have Cody talk a little bit more about what gets built on top of image. It's the very next thing that scripture talks about in Genesis, the creation of both man and woman, the relationship they have with one another, what it means to be married, what it means to be single, what it means to have identity. So Cody, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah, so one of the one of the things I really appreciated about worship this morning is the emphasis on my soul longs for you. That Psalm 63 and um, the entirety of my being longs for you. And there's this spot where, as we're navigating issues of, of sexuality and all of these other complex issues, behind all of this, behind all of our human relational desires, is ultimately a, a, a far deeper desire 
that's for connection with God. And this has been true of all humanity, of all, all times, all places. We have this innate longing for God. And any time we run to something in order to quench our soul's longing, our, our thirst for significance, satisfaction, security, any of those things, it's actually misdirected desire that, that has to be redirected towards God. And it's in that space where we find that sense of wholeness and completeness. And we always talk about eternal life. Eternal life is both the... The, yes, the quantity of life, but it's also about a quality of life. Wholeness here and now as we wait for the time to come. And so when we're talking about these issues, it's really easy, as Chris said earlier, it's really easy to want to jump ahead and deal with the hot button topics. But I'm so thankful that this church is slowing down a minute and saying, well, where is the, where, where is this actually rooted in? What, what is happening? Uh, because it is, we can just jump to those things. And then what ends up happening is these conversations take a quick turn about politics, about social issues, about all of these other sorts of things, which are important and they will follow. But ultimately for those who follow Jesus, the idea is that well, we, when, we, when we address things like sexuality, sanctity of life, all of these other popular issues, uh, it's because they're first and foremost theological in nature. And so all good theology, when Jesus, when Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment? What, what does he tell? What does he say? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So all good theology, apparently, according to Jesus, starts there. And so we have to get to know God a little bit. And so as Chris said in the in Genesis narrative, it opens up with, let us, let us make man in our image. That's a very important concept because so many times we, we forget the relational nature of God himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. You remove either of those, according to history and scripture, you're moving towards heresy. If you ignore or deny Father, Son, Spirit as one God. And these, these are important because this is what it means when we're trying to develop a theology or what we believe about God and how he relates to our marriage and our relationships. This is the foundation. This is where it's actually grounded in. And so when we look at this, there are four things that really surface in this discussion about God and his nature that are relevant for relevant places for us to begin. And the first thing is, oh, I'll, I'll go ahead and name all four, uh, unity, diversity, equality, and humility. Unity, diversity, equality, and humility. And I understand those middle two, there's broad definitions of what those look like in our culture, right? I mean, we... So we're going to try and pull back a little bit and, and focus in on the nature and character of God. So the first thing is, is unity. Foundational belief in God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Are they, are, they, are they three different gods? No, the answer is no. We have three, Father, Son, and Spirit in one. There is a divine unity that exists within our God, within the God that we believe in. Because in Scripture, what you find is the Father's worship, the Son's worship, the Spirit's worship— there's this profound oneness. And ultimately, we could list off all those examples that people try to make sense of the Trinity. A lot of times, they're not as helpful. Uh, there's just some mystery in here. And we worship God in light of his mystery, not in spite of it. And so that's where we start, is with his profound unity, God, three and one. Now, in that, there's diversity. There's a, there's a little, there's difference. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. And so already we have this unity and diversity that exists in the relational nature of God. And if you have this diversity, that this is 
unity is pre- diversity presupposes unity. We have to have if there's diversity in the Godhead, there's got to be unity. But the third one is equality. We oftentimes it's really easy to look at Father, Son, and Spirit. Or if you're in part of more Pentecostal camps, it's Spirit, <laughs> Father, Son. And if you're in Southern Baptist Church, it's Scripture, <laughs> Father. I'm, I'm just just teasing, just just teasing. I, I'm from the South, so I I, I can make those claims. Uh, so no no no. We we no matter how we spin it, it feels like sometimes it can easily fall into hierarchy, right? Like Father, Son, Spirit, or Jesus, Spirit. It, it, it's easy to get that distinguished. No, the the scriptures and orthodox theology throughout history have affirmed and celebrated that Father, Son, and Spirit are equal in nature and authority. They don't have hierarchical roles. He does not have hierarchical roles. They're unique personhood. They're equal in power and authority, which leads to the next thing. Because when you read scripture from cover to cover, you notice that the Father has more space in some spots, and the Son has more space in some spots, and the Spirit has more space in some spots. This expresses the humility, the humble nature of God. Because though they are equal in nature, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, unified, diverse, they are, as one theologian calls it, subservient in redemptive and creative roles. Humility. There's this cooperation, this sort of divine dance that happens with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so when we look to see, okay, what does that look for us? Well, Jesus is the full expression of God. If we want to get to know God, we look at Jesus. Jesus says if we want to get to know how the Spirit sounds, we look to Him. So we look to Jesus, God who stepped into humanity, and we see that humility displayed emphatically. The humility of God. And so what does that mean for our relationship? Well, if we start with that, if we start with that, and we come to realize that marriage is a reflection both singleness and marriage, in fact, are an expression of God's humanity or God's uh, design for humanity. Then we see these important these important elements of unity, diversity, equality, and humility play out. And you see these as kingdom values as you survey the New Testament. And so those, those are foundational spots to start when we're having this conversation of what is, what is, the, what is the design for marriage and singleness? Because there was no marriage in the earlier sections of Genesis, right? Let us make man in our image. So it doesn't matter who you are, married or single, you're stamped with the image of God. You are stamped with this innate value that, that requires you to give dignity and respect towards all human beings. But as we survey this out in marriage, what we find in our culture is that both culture and the church have kind of made an idol out of marriage, both. And so, and I'll explain a little bit how this unfolded. In 20, uh, in, in 2015, was it 2013? It was 2015. SCOTUS decision, right? Yes, that's right. Um, when when same-sex marriage was uh, legalized, and he'll get into more of this, so I get to drop a hot grenade and take off, so you're welcome. Um, when, it was, uh, when, it, when it was legalized across the board, it, it, I, what was interesting was what one of the justices said. He said, for uh, marriage em- embodies the highest ideal of love. Marriage, the highest ideal of love. You know what you just said to every person who is single for whatever reason? That they can't experience the highest ideal of love. 
People are single for a variety of reasons. Divorced, widowed, decision, other complex situations. Not only that, but the church. It's often presumed in the church, at least where I'm from as well, this, this idea that if you're not married, well, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on with Richard or Sally? Like, why, why are they single? And then what we do is we create singles ministries in hopes to get people connected, right? <laughs> and so there's this image where it's like, oh, man, like we, we too have idolized marriage. We too have elevated marriage and, and had this belief that it is the pinnacle of relationship. But, but it's not the pinnacle of relationship is with Jesus. No matter what, with Jesus. So that's where the good theology starts, right? You have to go back to your longing to be connected to God. My soul longs for, not you or you or you, my soul ultimately longs for this. And this we know this because marriage is a temporary earthly institution. In the, in the new creation, something changes. There's something high, there's a higher order. And I need to speed up. So um, it is, uh, but so yeah, when's the last time you heard, you heard a bunch of people going, we're going to a singles conference. In the church. But you hear marriage conferences all the time, right? So there's this important element that we have to respect that marriage and singleness are not... It doesn't go God, marriage, singleness. It goes God, marriage, singleness, and the new creation as we're moving towards it. We, we tend to put marriage over singleness, and that's where a lot of tension comes from in these conversations is we haven't done a good job as a church to celebrate to affirm, to help people live faithfully in singleness. Because what we have in marriage, the biblical vision, the goal in marriage is not just companionship. And he'll get more into this here in a second. But it's a together mission with faithfulness in Jesus in and outside of the church. Now, the biblical vision of singleness is faithfulness to Jesus and mission in and outside of the church. They're the same, they're the same in their calling. And we all know married couples who at times envy singles, right? I don't, please don't raise your hands or say amen or anything like that. But you know what I'm saying. We look, you know, us married couples, I'm married. Sometimes we look at, man, life was easier when, it, when I was single. But then we have single friends who say, man, I would, life, was, would be easy, life would be better if I had someone. We need each other. Diversity, unity, humility, equality. We need each other. And those are the only things that bind us together. And so what Jesus focuses on. Is not the marriage institution itself, but he also opens up the space in, Ma- in Matthew 19 when he talks about eunuchs. Very interesting text. Very interesting text where he is saying that there are some who are going to live a life of singleness based on a variety of circumstances. This word eunuch, in the, um, it had a broader meaning by the time it, by, in, in Jesus' day. But anyone who's going to stay single... And so what Jesus and Paul both do is they put singleness on, on the same playing field as marriage. And so that's an important point because what they both highlight, they say, look past those things into the new creation community of the church. That's the true family. That's the true relationship. That's the true space of deep fellowship. And so what we find in this true family, Mark 3, Jesus says, and Mark 10, Jesus says, he says in Mark 3, those who do the will of my father are my family. Brothers and sisters and mothers. He never says father because we have one father. Brothers and sisters and mothers. And then he says it again in Mark 10, different context. He says, if you have to give up everything, everything, you will have a true family. Isn't that remarkable? Brothers and sisters. That's the most commonly used term to describe the church. Not church, bride, body, priesthood. No. Brothers and sisters. 
And so this true family, all of this flows from the character of God. Let's go, to, go back there. Unity, diversity, equality, and humility. Look at how Paul talks about the church, and you'll find those dynamics existing in the church. And so our theology, framing a theology of marriage, is that it is an ultimate reflection of God, God's character, and the same with singleness. And all of those things are both moving towards the eternal relationship with God and his church, the eternal brother and sisterhood. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting, I think. So I'm going to hand it back over to you. I'm taking way too much time. You're awesome. Thank you, Cody. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a humbling thing to realize that you don't have the whole picture. Right? And we will never have the full picture of God until we're with him. Um, there's, there's a significant amount of grieving that's been going on with me when I realized that I thought I had it all together and acted accordingly at times. Right? It does not mean that we move away from the, the sound uh, foundations of our theology. In a conversation I had recently, somebody said that my attempts in this were into authentic. Because at some point there would be a a place in the time where I would say there is still a plan that God has designed. And that was interpreted from somebody as being inauthentic. And I had to confess the way I responded to that person because it wasn't in love. It was in anger. But I, I, I said, please don't call it inauthentic. If it was inauthentic, I wouldn't be here. I will admit that it's incomplete, but it's as authentic as it possibly could be. That's going to be really important for us. That in our culture, there now creates a chasm that wasn't there. There was shaking and there was breaking. And now there's a chasm where there didn't used to be. And the work of the church is to build the bridge back. Not wait for people to come to us. We build the bridge. God did not wait for us to build a ladder to get to heaven. In fact, when we made efforts, he knocked them down and changed the languages. God comes to us. We are created in his image to do as the Father does, so the Son does. We remain in the Son and the Son and the Father. We're invited actually into this triune peace. That's the most beautiful peace uh, that is reflected in my heart is that not only is God highly relational, he invites us up into that relational space. Important to remember again that God did not create people because God was lonely. It wasn't a desperate act. It was a unbelievably loving act that relationship existed and we got invited up into it because he came to get us he came to get us and so if we are a prophetic community of people who love god and love our neighbors then it is incumbent upon us to be the ones who go into places that aren't like us to find people in the image of god who might be compelling enough to build relationship with this all comes back to our core values as a congregation that this year, again, the goal isn't necessarily, I mean, if people want to come in and explore us, that's great. I'm always amazed that new people wander in and find us. I'm amazed. But the work is still to go out and build relationships and get to know names of people in the community and build a relationship with them founded on what God has given us. Uh, to say that we can have this. And then if someday you want to join this bigger prophetic community, you're allowed to. You're welcome to. But our relationship isn't contingent upon those things, right? So to have a full and complete theology, that is truth. I am held by truth. I know that truth is good, that God is good, and I have not figured it all out yet. 
And so when I go back to places and hear uh, new friends like Cody share things with me about the idolatry of marriage, and I go, oh, guilty of behaving upon that belief. There's work to do. Even in these discussions grounded on solid theology, I want to be humble. We're walking up here, walking today, no, driving. We didn't walk here. Uh, we drove here. It's a long walk. And I said, I, you know, there's times in the past where I thought I had it all together and acted accordingly. There's a chance that I could do that again in, in further discussions. And so it, it places in me this sense of humility, confidence in what God has said, but humility in how I learn to engage it. So that will be the nature of this discussion over the next four weeks. It is all grounded on identity, being made in the image of God, going back to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, and seeking him again for an understanding. And he'll give it to us, by the way. We just have to sit with him long enough to, to, to receive it from him through an intimate relationship. Intimacy takes time. You can't rush intimacy. Things break when we do that. We'll actually have those discussions a little bit later when this conversation gets more practical. But every time we go to this discussion ever, it has to be grounded and seen through the lens of identity made in the image of God. And the understanding that God is triune, He's relational, He's invited us into something as married people, as single people. Whoever we are, we're made in His image and that's our foundational identity. So as we start identifying as things, which is the key word in culture today. I identify as. Instead of getting angry. Because I get angry sometimes still. I'm like that's. Ugh, like, and then I get judgmental. And then I'm the one in trouble. <laughs> right? If I hear those words I identify as. Or I. It makes me want to. When I'm being led by the spirit. Get closer to people. To hear their story. Tell me more about how you decided that would be something to identify as. Because acceptance does not mean, mean agreement. Understanding doesn't mean that I have to agree. It just means that now I understand more than I did about a person's perspective. That we can lean into this because God's on his throne. And he's asked us to walk humbly into this. Um, the last thing we'll say as we close. Uh, thank you for being a part of this courageous conversation. Pray for us as, as uh, I'll be leaning on Cody over the phone and on email from Montana. Um, the Lord has just gifted this, this, this friend of mine uh, in this space. And, and he's been working this out in his own context. This is the first time he's had a chance to come and help another context work it out. And uh, I'm just really delighted that you would come and spend time with us. And that we can have friendships from afar, Bozeman, if it's Germany or wherever it happens to be, Chris Nixon in the Philippines right now. The, the work of God is happening all over. Um, this is a grace-based conversation. Uh, we realize that having conversations about sexuality opens up all kinds of painful boxes for people, devastating boxes for people. Um, you will not be uh, encouraged to share beyond what you would feel the need to share, but there's a good likelihood that some of these conversations are going to trigger something in us that's going to make us want to run away from the conversation potentially. My hope and my challenge to us as a church is to, to think and pray about this week, someone that they trust within this body, that when the rails come off for some of us, I'm not going to say if, I'm going to say when, because these topics elicit all sorts of emotions and places of pain. When the conversation starts to come off the rail for whoever, to know that there's someone in this congregation that they can turn to to say, I'm not okay with this right now. Um, there may be things that you hear that make you very uncomfortable hearing. 
everything about these conversations makes me uncomfortable hearing. We're grounded in solid theology, which gives us the freedom to venture into spaces, to ask good questions, and to hear from other people, to expand our understanding of where we need to apply the truth and the hope of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Cody. Um, thank you for just being um, a good learner, for being a good steward of what God has given you, uh, for someone be, that, that's able to encourage and to ask really, really good questions. Um, because you do that, and for courageously walking out into the space and believing that God's kingdom exists for more people than are currently receiving it. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for our brother. God, thank you that you have uh, brought us together. Lord, thank you for our mutual friend uh, that, that Cody and I have. Lord, thank you for the journey that he's on. Lord, thank you for the generous spirit which with he's always lived his life. And Lord, we, we pray uh, God, that you would bless him today and his family. And Lord, just thank you that he introduced us and that uh, out of this has come a very uh, important gift. Lord, and we want to steward that well. We want to steward the gift of your word and its application to the context in which we find ourselves every day. But Lord, be with Cody. Lord, be with Christy. Be with his two children and the third on the way. Um, Lord, give him safe travels as he goes home today. and Fill him with your spirit, Lord. Uh, we, we decide we get to commission him freshly today back into the place where he has gone. Lord, he's given us a gift. We want to return him as a gift filled with your spirit and your life and your hope. Lord, and as we engage these conversations, give us courage. Give us wisdom. Give us humility. Give us unity. Lord, give us diversity. Lord, give us all the goodness that you have for us. That we might be good stewards of your word in your community. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.